Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It is live here on BLS with Bob Long and Tyler Gellhouse. Excited to be alongside and break down what was a very interesting game for the Penn State Nittany Lions on the road at Indiana. Tyler, it always seems to go that way at the University of Indiana in Bloomington, but uh, they come out with a win. It was something that they needed after a two-game skid and what was, call it, a little bit of a reprieve in the midst of two big-time matchups that they lost in Ohio State and Michigan State. Follow that up with three huge matchups against Iowa at home this weekend and then Michigan and Wisconsin in the next couple weeks after that. It really will be an interesting three-week stretch that will define this football season for Penn State. I know we got a lot to talk about on the Indiana side, but as we take a, a deep breath and they're now more than halfway through this season, where do you see... Penn State sitting um I mean I think that the standings kind of speak for themselves as well as the results uh they aren't standing where I would have liked them or I envisioned them at the beginning of the season um I think that obviously um a little frustrated uh as as well as a lot of other people with the losses back-to-back losses Ohio State Michigan State eerily identical to the two losses that they suffered last year to those two teams on the road this year at home um I think it's, it's I think it's a major concern the game day mat, the game day coaching the game management that we've seen from James Franklin over the years. Yes, there have been some some nice come behind late wins like last year in Iowa City against the Hawkeyes. Um, however, it seems like more times than not it's it's Penn State either giving up a big lead or not being able to close the deal late in the game. So where they're sitting right now, I, I'm honestly I'm, I'm I'm a little disappointed in the team this year thus far. Um, not only because of the two losses, but um, I really haven't seen too much of an improvement. I, I thought that Indiana would be a great game to show great improvement, and there and there was areas of improvement in that game. Um, but still, late in the game, I mean, um, Indiana hung around, got the onside kick, and had a chance to win the game at the end. Although it never really felt like that they were going to win, Penn State was going to lose the game. Indiana was going to win, but there was still that that little doubt in your mind that wow, here we go again. Um, can't close it out. But uh, I mean, they are. Five and two right now, like you said, with a big three-game stretch coming up, starting with Iowa, and uh, this this game is crucial, and it it's really going to define the rest of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Once again, this is the Nittany Lions Sports Report live on BLS. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse. Ways to watch or listen, you can follow us on Periscope on Twitter at Bob Long Sports. You can follow us on Facebook as well. And we also will post this to iTunes later. Again, iTunes, if you're listening to us, that's the BLS podcast, the way to get to us there. Uh, We have the opportunity to have Steve Batterson on. He's our good friend from last year on this podcast. He came on and previewed, did a heck of a job previewing what ended up being a historic game between Penn State and Iowa. He said it was going to be close. I think we kind of doubted him a little bit because Iowa was struggling coming into that game. And Penn State was firing on all cylinders, too. How the times have changed. Although that was early and it was the first Big Ten game last year. Yeah, you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. So... We'll talk to him at 8.40. It's about uh, 15 minutes from now. Excited to have him on. Bob Long, Tyler Galhouse here. And uh, we'll, we'll bring this forward here and, and talk a little bit, Tyler, um, about this team and about what happened against Indiana. Really a struggle in many, many ways as the Nittany Lions struggled to do what they needed to do to close out the Hoosiers. Once again, a double-digit fourth quarter lead and it nearly goes by the wayside we're going to talk in our blitz segment today about some of the struggles defensively and how that allowed indiana to stay in this football game where i i really didn't think it was um something where they they should have been in the game long term quite quite simply and so i think that's a concern for penn state going forward and something we're going to talk about what do you think tyler yeah i mean i would agree that i think Something that we knew was going to be a struggle was the um, the defensive line. Uh, it was looking like a strength at the beginning of the year, specifically um, the DN position. It obviously took a hit when Ryan Buckholtz and Torrance Brown had to announce their retirements, and uh, Shane Simmons had to uh, he missed half the season, came back um, after the bye week. Um, so they've been suffering on a D line, but specifically at D tackle, um, we kind of knew it was going to be a um, an area of weakness. Um, you have two very good starters in Givens and Windsor, but behind them, there's 
a lot of inexperience, um, not a lot of depth, and um, especially with the injury to Fred Hansard, and then moving C.J. Thorpe um, over from the offensive line to de- defensive line. There's just not a lot of experience there, and I think you saw that Indiana um, really really took advantage of running it up the middle on Penn State, especially on first downs. I mean, Indiana ended the game with uh, 224 yards on the ground, um, not to mention they threw for uh, another 330. So it was, uh, I believe it was maybe the most yards that Penn State has ever given up um, in a game. I mean, they thank God they won it. They gave up 28 points, but, um, you know, they, they held them to uh, 28 points, and that was enough in large part thanks to Shaka Tony, uh, who had four sacks in the fourth quarter. Um, but, you know, again, the defense, and I thought that the offense um, – they they could have played better and and I think that they looked a little rusty and and the the, the drops with the wide receivers is getting very old, um, not to sound like a Debbie Downer but um, I think it's going to be some time for some uh, young guys to step up and Franklin actually uh, pointed to his press conference today about uh, younger wide receivers getting a bigger role this week um, in large part to the possibility of Jawan Johnson um, getting hurt in the Indiana game uh, maybe could have gone back in they thought it was best to rest so we'll see if the younger guys like shorter. Dotson and um, George are ready to go because they need wide receivers outside of KJ Hamler to catch the ball. <laughs> You're exactly right. And, and, you know, Penn State, it, you mentioned a lot of things there, but big time struggles and inability to close out a game once again. A second onside kick. Why are you calling time out there? That's a great question. And, I, I mean, you, you literally gave them a practice kick with the timeout that you called. And it's like icing your own kicker. It's like sending a kicker out for a 35-yard field goal to tie, to win the game, whatever, and, and you call a timeout. Not the other. You call a timeout, and it's like, why Why did you call a timeout? And I understand that there might have been something that they saw, and, and Indiana came up in a little bit of a stack formation where they had multiple guys on both sides, and you didn't know which way they were going to go. But call the timeout earlier. Mm-hmm. Don't call the timeout as he's about to approach the football. Yeah, and it all goes back to game management. And and we've seen it one too many times. Um, stemming back to really really the Rose Bowl. Um, that's kind of when it all started, those late-blown leads. And I don't, know, I don't know what it is. I mean, that's the one thing we can always say about a Penn State team as, as of um, 2016 against Michigan. They have been in, they have been prepared, and have been in every game. Sure. They have not gotten blown out. Nope. And, I mean, sometimes being blown out is easier to take for some others rather than having your heart ripped out of you. Last second, last minute, final drives type of thing. But that is that is like the, the weird part in all this is that they're always prepared, Penn State, uh, for the most part. They hardly get blown out, and they're always in the game. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's the closing and the game management where um, some teams have a leg up on them right now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And from an Indiana perspective, for me, it wasn't just about what happened at the end of the game, Tyler. For me, it was about the entire game. For me, it was about the fact that they were only up 17-14 at half. And listen, I understand that they're doing a good job over there. The newer coaching staff uh, has done a nice job to at least kind of bring that program up. But let's not forget that this Indiana team has been blown out multiple times this year, embarrassingly, and, and Penn State comes in and should have an easier time but they're really just not they're just not and uh, they're not having a a good time against just about anybody right now unable to get into their offensive flow against Michigan State Uh, unable to get the defensive stops they need against Indiana unable to catch the football against Indiana offensively and like I said we'll talk about the schemes a little bit defensively but I think that this was one of Brett Pry's worst games as a defensive coordinator a guy here in me that has been a staunch defender even when I think some uh, unneeded and unwarranted criticism has been sent his way. Mm -hmm. This game in particular, I saw some things that I really didn't like in six situational play calls, and we'll go through that on the blitz. But, you know, it comes from, quite simply, you have a quarterback in 
in Ramsey. Well, they played two as well. Well, that's true. Penix. Right, they did. And and Pen- and actually he tore his ACL by the way on that in that on yeah, that play. Very with the with the questionable targeting in my opinion and we can maybe discuss that a little bit Without later. Without a doubt. Um but going to get Sutherland some looks one way yeah, or the other. I mean, well, to go off what you're saying with it Indiana, they put up 554 total yards. Yeah. Yeah. That's unacceptable. It's completely I mean, unacceptable. Indiana has good offenses, but I mean, come on. This isn't you're not you're not playing Oklahoma um, you're not playing Alabama. You're not playing Ohio. You're not playing Ohio State. High octane. I mean, it's Indiana. The skill level is is very different. I mean, there's right. there's and I talked about the young and experienced defensive line, but still no excuse. And I know you're talking about the defense. It, it, we're like the only team that doesn't blitz that I watch. I mean, they hardly blitz. Well, Mike Parsons, funny you, you don't blitz. That. I mean, I'm watching these other games and they're sending linebackers, and it it almost seems like they never. Blitz. Mm. Send four, send four, send four. Four against five. I mean, something, you know. That's so funny you say that because you're right for the vast majority of the time frame, but what I'm going to talk about is third down and not having a spy on a third and long. I agree with that as well. And so you're sending four. Penn State goes nickel. In some cases, they even a couple cases, they went dime, putting a sixth defensive back on the field with just one middle linebacker. And then on third and ten with the receivers going streaks and a very athletic quarterback in the backfield, you're going to try to shoot the middle linebacker through the B-gap? I mean, it's just it's just silly. Well, I'm and, not and, even saying on third and like third downs. I mean, even – even second down. I mean, right. Maybe that's the time like, to blitz. What I'm going to get at, and we'll talk about all this a lot in the blitz, there were two or three really, really horrendous play calls where third and long, they decided to back. sell out. Well, uh, send five mm-hmm. when they're in dime, and all of a sudden receivers go down the field. The field is wide open for an athletic quarterback, yep. and Penn State has no shot. He takes off out of the pocket and gets a first down. Yep. And, and these, that's completely unacceptable defensive play call we'll talk about that i'm I'm spoiling it but uh, yeah that we had some very very questionable defensive play calls from brent pry we had some very questionable offensive play calls down the stretch from ricky ronnie we also had one absolutely tremendous play call from ricky ronnie that we'll talk about in the blitz as well but by and large I thought offensively they made good play calls over the course of the day trace mcsorley i think had a tremendous day throwing the football and now he also had a tremendous day running the football. It's unfortunate for him that his long streak, 60, what, 50 plus games of throwing at least one touchdown had to end because there were certainly a couple opportunities where there were drop footballs that could have either gotten them into the end zone or a lot closer to the mm-hmm. end zone and would have allowed Trace McSorley another opportunity to extend that streak. But Brandon Polk, Jawan Johnson, DeAndre Tompkins – where have they been? Well, it's going to be it's a broken record. And it was at this supposed point. to be a strength of the team. Yep. And um, I know that James Franklin made a comment today at his press conference that Johnson got a little banged up in that game, didn't play in the second half. Yep. Um, Polk dropped at least two or three balls, and I'm like, and he he couldn't block either. So I'm like, why is he still in the game? Um, I understand Justin Shorter has been out. The highly touted five star receiver hasn't been able to really make an impact yet. He's only played in one game and he's been injured. Is this a week he can be back and make an impact as long as guys like as well as guys like Daniel George, Jahan Dotson, number five, played against Indiana yeah. as well. I mean, this is a talented wide receiver class and then you have two red shirt freshmen and Hip and Hammer, um, who who I don't think has done great. He's done okay and nobody's done as well as um Hamler. And then you, you factor in the tight end Fryermuth, another freshman. Right. So <laughs> Those are the guys, and right they now. are, KJ and, and they are like right now they're the most talented yep. guys, and they just happen to all be freshmen, um, especially Hamler and Fryermuth. But let's see what the other guys have. They have that red shirt rule that they can play up until four games, and you got to go with the best players regardless of year at this level. I mean, if, if these guys, these upperclassmen, aren't cutting it, you know what? I mean, you got to go with the guys who give you the best chance. Well, to that's win. that's the question though, right? Uh, and shorter might be a guy that's three years on the field and then to the NFL. Mm-hmm. So maybe that makes the decision on him. But a guy like Daniel George, a guy like Jahan Jahan Dotson, do you believe that if they get to what have they played in two games each so Dotson far? Dotson two, the other two one. one. George and George just uh, won. against uh, Kent State. No, but didn't he get a catch against IU or no? George, I don't believe so. I know Dotson got a okay. first. And I, 
I don't have any. Um, I might be wrong. You you might be right. All right, let's just say this. Well, right? let me see if you got a catch. I'll check on that for All you. All right, check that while we do that. But the point being is you have an, a, a huge No three- catch. Okay. But he could have played. Sullivan Brown had two catches. Gotcha. Who we didn't mention had a pretty good game. Yeah. So let's just say that uh, you get to the game against Mich- uh, the, the last game of the three, Wisconsin, on the 10th of November. And at that point, Let's just say that it's so um, – who's played the two games? Dotson. Mm-hmm. Dotson plays against Iowa, plays against Michigan. They win those games. They're out of the college football playoff but in the race for the Big Ten East. Where do you stand? I mean, are, are you with playing – With the red shirt rule? With Dotson I mean, it, in particular. It, uh, so I think the easier question might be shorter, George. Maybe they play the next well, three games. They're at four going into Maryland – Maybe they win all three of those games. Do you continue to play those okay. guys? So I look at it in two ways. Is one is, are these guys, if you redshirt them, are they really going to be there for a fifth year? That's the question, right? Um, a, guy, shorter, the a guy like know. Shorter, no. Even a guy like George, he could be a redshirt junior and still leave after that year if the, the draft stock is there. I mean, um, same goes with Dotson. Um, you have to wonder, is it worth redshirting these guys? Are they gonna would they hang around for a fifth year? I think you just mentioned shorter is probably a definite no, even though we haven't seen much of them yet. And the other two are they they could, I mean, but here's the other thing is is it really worth at the same time pl- burning or you know, burning Dodson's uh red shirt and playing him in more than four games when he's when he's a slot receiver right now, sitting behind Hamler, who is not gonna give up the starting job, and also sitting behind Hippenhammer. Yeah. The other guys on the outside, George and Shorter, I think have a compelling argument because of the play on the outside, the inconsistency from Polk, Tompkins, and Johnson. They need help on the outside. So that's why I would be more eager to burn their red shirts um, if healthy and if they're they're ready. And, I mean, I think George is going to be a phenomenal player as well. He kind of reminds me of Chris Godwin. Excuse me, more of a physical um, six two. He'll he, when he catches, he's looking to run you over. Mm-hmm. He's, he might not outrun you, but he's going to run you over. So I mean, at the end of the day, if if they can make the plays that the upperclassmen haven't been able to make, burn the shirts, regard regardless of really regardless of your record, regardless of what happens, because at the very least you're getting them experience for next year. All right, let me throw a quick counterpoint at you. All three, all three. I I mean, you're bringing in. Pretty much three receivers every year, highly touted guys. Um, I, I have no problem with it, no problem at all. Like I said, because you don't know what the future is going to hold yep. in terms of you know when it's time to. What if what if you redshirt shorter and he has an amazing next year redshirt freshman year and then a redshirt sophomore year? Right, he could leave. That's you only got two years out of him. At least get two years and some games out of them. Well, it's but the the delta is really two years and one, two and a half years and one additional game, right? If it's four versus five, so right. the upside but I don't think of so. not playing him in a game against Maryland or Rutgers, and then but, having the impact for maybe the next three games, and maybe and we shouldn't total? be using him as an example because I don't think he'd be here for five years anyway. Right? I think one of the other two guys, and that would be where the argument comes in. And I mean that's that's a that's a tough decision that I you know that's why Franklin's getting paid the right the big bucks. Um, so my point is, and I know it's probably not the right way to think of it, not the way that Franklin and Co are thinking about it. But Daniel George, a guy, so he's only played the one game. If he plays each of the next three games, let's say that they let's say Juwan Johnson has some trouble getting back. He's day to day right now. Let's say that. Uh, they just don't give as many snaps to Brandon Polk after that performance, to DeAndre Tompkins after that performance. Well, perhaps George gets a playing time in each of these next three games. He's sitting at four. Penn State is now um, eight and two going into their last two games against Maryland. Very Rutgers. optimistic. Very optimistic. <laughs> Nonetheless, I still believe that the way you think about it is not – is not that it's uh, a full season versus not a full season. It's you've played them in four games total, and now you have two games at the end of the season where, you know, it's it's not, it's just not one of those things where they're um, where they're playing as as many important games. So they're gonna have those two games. Now it's it's about how many games he's played. So it's the four games versus the five or six. Is that one extra game against the Maryland or against the Rutgers important enough? for Penn State to uh, consider 
you know, burning that red shirt. So that's kind of the discussion. That's part of that, that decision-making process. But right now we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we are going to bring on our next guest. His name is Steve Batterson. He's been on our show before here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. We're excited to have him from the Quad City Times. And we will preview the Penn State versus Iowa football game, which is always seemingly a classic. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show once again. It's good to have you. Hey, my pleasure. Steve, uh, let's get into this Iowa team here as they – you guys look pretty good out there. Six and one, and Nate Stanley's got it going on. You have a, a three-running back system with three sophomores really starting to carry uh, the weight but really balance one one another out. Uh, I've been very impressed with the Hawkeyes so far, and you got a big stretch coming up over the next couple games. What has uh, what's it been like from the Iowa Hawkeye fan perspective? What have they seen out of their team this year? You know, I think this is a team that had a lot of question marks going into the season. Uh, they lost all three starting linebackers from a year ago. Uh, certainly, Akram Wadley was a you know a force in the backfield. Uh, you know, very consistent. Uh, they had some questions at receiver, uh, a few other spots around around the field as well, and. No, this has been a team that has, has made gradual, steady progress from week one to to uh, six and one, where they're at right now. And uh, you know, certainly Nate Stanley has has been at the controls of the offense. Uh, uh, it's been a fairly balanced attack. They've been able to uh, um, you know to move the ball in a in a variety of ways against Minnesota. They really attacked with their receivers. Uh, the following week in Indiana, it was it was all about the tight ends and. And last week on a very windy day at Kinnick Stadium against Maryland, it was all about the running backs. And uh, Ivory Kelly Martin, who is the starter, has uh, has missed three games this season with uh, with an injury or two injuries actually. Uh, and and it's uh, so that the running game has been a little bit of a work in progress. Uh, they had a couple of spots to fill on the interior of the offensive line. Uh, the, those guys have kind of responded, and and over time it it, it has developed into. Uh, a pretty solid uh, trio of running backs. It's 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 not unlike what uh, Iowa did a couple of years ago with uh, with Akram Wadley when he was a sophomore, along with Lashawn Daniels, and uh, it's been uh, kind of running back by committee. Steve Batterson on with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Steve, it's a Big Ten West conference for Iowa this year that is wide open, and I've found that race to be. Very interesting and thrilling in many ways, and there's a long way to go. A Northwestern team that you know comes up with some huge wins and takes down Michigan State, a team that was struggling at the time, and then they struggle to get by Rutgers this past weekend in Piscataway. You know, I was in the mix, of course, Purdue with a thrilling win over Ohio State, and then, of course, Wisconsin, who actually has the hammer on head-to-head against Iowa. So as you evaluate this second half of the season, starting with a big game against Penn State, how do you think this Big Ten West race shakes out uh, for Iowa after this game against Penn State? It's a slew of Big Ten West opponents that are right near the top of the standings. Yeah, uh, you know, the Hawkeyes have, have uh, you know, they've seen Minnesota and they've seen Wisconsin out of the division and they haven't played anyone else yet. So, uh, you know, I, this is an Iowa team that I think felt like it had a chance to, to contend along with Wisconsin in the West. Uh, uh, they led Wisconsin to the final minute of that game and, and kind of let it slip away. Uh, they're on fairly even terms with, with the Badgers. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a division race that, uh, you know, will probably, from an Iowa perspective, will probably be decided here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, uh, you know, after the trip to, to Pennsylvania this weekend, they, uh, uh, they go to Purdue next week and, and then they, they follow that up with a home game against Northwestern, which, uh, as you alluded to, it's been kind of hot and cold and, and, uh, been a little perplexing to figure out. I mean, Clayton Thorson, certainly, uh, a talented uh, veteran quarterback, uh, uh, you know, losing their their top rusher uh, early in the season has made that uh, that offense a little inconsistent. But uh, uh, you know, the Cats uh, they have a half game lead right now on people, so you know it's going to be interesting to see how how all this shakes out. Iowa finishes up at Illinois and at home against Nebraska, so uh, they're going to catch the back end of of uh, of that division uh, on the final week. So if if they can fight their way through this stretch here, they they could be in a pretty good position to to make a a strong push for for a division title for the first time since 2015. Hey, Steve, this is uh, Tyler Galhouse along with Bob Long. Um, 
quick question for you in regards to the offense. You talked about the run game isn't where um, Iowa had hoped for it to be. However, you have a great quarterback in um, Nathan Stanley, um, as well as two terrific tight ends in um, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, your two leading receivers. Um, can you talk about potential problems that, that Penn State could have with that double tight end set, um, especially because Penn State really hasn't going up against any elite tight ends this year and and just so happens that they're going to go up against the two best in in one game against Iowa. Yeah, these two guys really play off of each other pretty well. And and one of the things that that, uh, Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator, who also moved into the role as as tight ends coach this year as an assistant after working with the the running backs the last couple of years did, was he spent some time uh, with the Patriots during the summer. Uh, He worked uh, with them previously as an assistant tight ends coach uh, assisting the assistant there, but, uh, he went out and spent some time to, to talk with them about the use of tight ends and offenses and, and how to, uh, you know, to create opportunities for those guys, because Iowa certainly has, you know, not only the two guys that are starting, they feel really good about the, a couple of guys backing those guys up as well. So, you know, it's a position where Iowa has a lot of talent. They've been able to recruit well to that position. And, and certainly in Noah Fant, they had a, a guy coming back who was, uh, you know, a, a top receiver uh, from a year ago really emerged on the national scene and, and as a sophomore. And, and this fall, uh, Hawkinson has done the same. Uh, they've been able to uh, to create some problems. And Indiana really struggled with uh, dealing both the, uh, the size and the quickness of those guys. They're both 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six kind of guys. Uh, you know, have have a little thickness to them, but they've also got uh, pretty good speed, and and that combination has, has been pretty effective for Iowa when they've gone their way. They're they're one and two in in terms of receptions right now, but uh, you know they worked hard to kind of uh, blend in some of the other receivers. Iowa has some some sophomore receivers uh, in Brandon Smith and and uh, Amir Smith Marset, a New Jersey kid who is uh, from the same high school as Wadley. Uh, that they're really trying to to get comfortable in the offense and uh, and stretch the field maybe a little more than what Iowa has in the past and and it seems to be working uh, it, but it starts with with the two tight ends and their abilities there's no question about that. Steve Batterson on with us here from the Quad City Chimes he's with us on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Steve, last year's game against Iowa for Penn State was an absolute classic and you came on our show before that game and predicted. A close game, and how right you were. You couldn't be much more right than that. Uh, obviously, a defining portion of that game was the performance of Saquon Barkley, who is now with the New York Giants in the National Football League. In his place for Penn State has stepped up Miles Sanders, and he's been nothing short of terrific, probably behind a better run-blocking offensive line this year. Uh, have you had any conversations, or has Kirk Ferentz uh, opined at all about what they expect to see out of the Penn State offense, specifically the running game in this upcoming week's game, and uh, if they have any wrinkles up their sleeve defensively to try to thwart that? Well, you know, certainly Sanders catches everybody's attention with what he's been able to to get done, and and I think they're also uh, uh, you know very respectful of, of of the the running ability of McSorley by at quarterback. This is he will be probably the best balanced run slash pass guy out of the quarterback position that Iowa has seen so far this season. And, and, uh, you know, they're, they're well aware of, of his ability, certainly. And, uh, and I think that they feel like the Penn State run game is, is something that, uh, you know, Iowa starts with, uh, with a total respect for. And, uh, one of the things that Iowa has been able to do has been to hold teams below their rushing average. Uh, they're using an eight man, rotation on the defensive front those front four guys are for the most part uh, all guys who at least started it at, at a defensive end type spot in terms of what position they were at when they arrived at Iowa so they've got some quickness and they've got some length on, on the defensive front that they've been able to kind of utilize to to really bottle up uh, uh, run games uh, Maryland came in here averaging about 245 yards on the ground the last week and uh, you know they left with 68 rushing yards and uh, they've held four opponents below uh, 100 yards on the ground, and it's been a pretty effective uh, uh, place for the Iowa defense to start. They're a little young on the back end, and I would expect Penn State to try to to attack that a little bit as well. So it's uh, you know it's going to be a, a test for Iowa in terms of being able to slow Penn State down on the ground. I think they're thankful that. Uh, 
that uh, Saquon Barkley is picking up <laughs> the check in the NFL right now. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, Steve, in, in terms of talking about the defense and the defensive line at Iowa, I thought uh, Coach Franklin made an interesting point today at his con- uh, press conference saying that um, Iowa is actually the best defensive line that Penn State's seen and now going to be going up against in in the last two years. Um, I know that they gave Penn State fits last year, especially um, your defensive ends. Um, big, tall, rangy guys were batting down passes, um, getting to McSorley. Um, what kind of – are they going to give similar troubles to Penn State, you think, this year? I mean, how how good are these guys on, on the front four? I know you said they rotate a lot. I mean, is it – are they game cha- game-changing type of guys out there? Well, they certainly have have kind of a unique size about them. Um, a lot of coaches have talked about how the length that they've got. They go six seven, six eight, uh, six five. Uh, they bring in another six five kid who was an excellent basketball player uh, in in AJ Epinesa, who was a uh, a five star recruit that uh, right now is rotating with Parker Hesse, who is a a senior, uh, you know, a six-three kid that uh, is very technically sound, and you know they, they've combined to uh, to create some havoc. And 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 the the big thing that they've been able to do is just keep fresh legs. They're bringing eight guys uh, on an almost rotation basis. It's yeah, sometimes they'll rotate by series, sometimes it's within series, sometimes it's kind of mix and match. Uh, but all of those guys have kind of fit in pretty well. And and so whether you're talking about you know the the rush that, that that an Anthony Nelson or or an an Ipanisa or uh, uh, Parker Hesse can create, or or just simply the, the the issues that the tackles and their size present, it's been kind of an interesting scenario for Iowa, and it's been very effective. Steve Batterson on with us again here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. He's with the Quad City Times and covers the Iowa Hawkeyes very well. Steve. What do you think the uh, the final on this game will be? Uh, any predictions, uh, any keys to the game on your side? Well, I think for Iowa, I think this will be another game much like uh, last week's game in terms of, of Iowa will try to find a way to, to shorten the game uh, through the use of its, its run game, uh, if at all possible. They need to get off to a quick start. This team has had some issues at times starting quickly. Uh, it's something that they've kind of overcome the last couple of weeks with maybe a little more aggressive play calling uh, early in games. I think you can expect that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if I was able to do that, I think they have a chance to make this a pretty interesting matchup. I think that, uh, um, you know, I, it's going to be another Wisconsin-like game for Iowa. It's certainly the game given their schedule this year, it's one of those games that's been circled on the calendar because, you know, there is no Michigan, there is no Michigan State, and there is no Ohio State on Iowa's schedule this season. And so if you've got to take a couple of games to point toward, the Wisconsin game early in, in late September and this one kind of mid-season, those are two games that have had Iowa's attention for quite a while. Yeah, and, and Penn State definitely um, has Iowa's attention um, or yeah, as well. Um especially the play of Nate Stanley. Steve, um, he's obviously a tremendous quarterback, having a great year, just came off a great game two weeks ago against Indiana. Um, do you think that, looking ahead a little bit to next year, is he a guy that's going to leave early for the NFL, uh, maybe forgo his senior season out there in Iowa? I think he's a guy that probably will stay put. Um, I think that uh, um, Noah Fant, probably will exit for the NFL. I think that's uh, probably a likelihood uh, at this point. Uh, I think that, uh, I think Nate, Nate's a pretty well-grounded guy. Um, he's uh, an extremely humble kid uh, who, who just uh, is kind of comfortable at this level. Um, he, he's not in any real hurry to get anywhere. I mean, in terms of, of pro career and that type of thing, and, you know, I think you know how the second half of the season, if if there were to be any thoughts about leaving early, you know how things finish up may have a lot to do with that. But uh, you know, I think at this point, his main focus, uh, he completed 54% of his passes a year ago, and, and um, you know, I, at this juncture, I think getting that number up. Uh, to where it is now at 61, 62%, I think is, you know, that, that's kind of step one for him this year. Um, it's been a, a season of growth so far. 
it started with with a couple of rough games. He only completed fifty two percent of his passes in the first two games, but you know he's countered that with with a stretch of, of four games where he was around the sixty eight percent mark. And and when he was uh, when he was lighting it up and during that that run, it, you know, it was pretty impressive. And um, some of that is he's got more experienced guys to work with this year. Um, Iowa was very young at the receiver spot a year ago. Uh, more so than than now, and uh, it, it's uh, you know it, it's a it's a growth curve that uh, I think he and and uh, those around him are are you know embracing at this point. It's good stuff, Steve. We always appreciate the time and uh, and appreciate you coming on again this year. It's good discussion on Iowa. It should be a great football game as it always seems to be, and uh, we'll be following along with your work uh, at the Quad City Times. All right, my pleasure. All right, thank you so much. Once again, Steve Batterson on with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report, and it is always good to hear from him. He's becoming a good friend of the show over the last couple of years here, Tyler. Oh, always good input from uh, from Steve out there in Iowa, and he knows his stuff. I mean, he was on here last year, uh, was pretty much dead on with that. Uh, we disagreed, but he was right. <laughs> um, and the reason I asked about Nate, Stan- Nate Stanley next year is because I know Penn State will go out there again next year. Yeah. And um, I, I just... It's not ever an easy place to play out in Iowa City, and I know if he's not there, that would make it a little bit easier for Penn State. Yeah, so theory. that was the main reason I was asking. Um, I still can't figure out the Big Ten schedule, and I've even looked it up a couple times. But like Penn State is playing Iowa this year for like either third or f- it goes in weird cycles. Now that there's yep. 14 teams, I still haven't pinpointed it down, but I know Penn State goes back out there next year. And then I think Iowa comes back the year after. I'm not totally sure, but there's like a long list of Penn State Iowa for a crossover game. Yeah, it's good. I think it's, it's a great, a great and I love. I, yeah, and I, I don't know if I would call it a rivalry, um, but I don't know if Penn State really has that true rival. Um, you know, people say Pitt, Ohio State, but um, it, it's a good matchup. I always enjoy watching Penn State play Iowa, um, win or lose, because it's always a good, good game, um, and I, I enjoy. Uh, Kinnick Stadium seems like a great stadium. I'd love to take a trip out there one time. Uh, you know, you're right on top of the field. Um, the outcome has, hasn't always been great there, uh, but it, it looks like a, a tremendous atmosphere. Well, I'm going to call it a rivalry then under the pretense that you can have more than one rival. Sure you can. Right? I don't Especially think Penn- in the SEC, everybody's rivals <laughs> down there. I don't think Penn State has a true rival either, and that might be a podcast unto mm-hmm. itself uh, about Michigan, Ohio State. Clearly, Penn State hates playing those teams. Or hates those teams and those teams, especially the fans. Yeah, you know. for sure. And I don't think those fans have a lot of good things to say about Penn State either. And I think if you asked Ohio State over the last three games, those games mean as much to them as any game on the schedule, mm-hmm. other than Michigan, of course. Mm-hmm. So whether they're a true rival or not, yeah, maybe not. However, Penn State and Iowa, they just keep getting together His- and historically having, right having historic type but football games. I don't severely dislike Iowa like I do other teams um, in the Big Ten. I mean, I, I never really had a problem with that. That's why I wouldn't consider them a, a rival, I guess, is because the dislike just isn't there. But <laughs> in terms of your, the games are always good, very true, close games, entertaining games. Um, so Well, we'll end it there. We don't need any therapy sessions on there <laughs> about who you hate and why and who not. And long list. Long list. Taking names. All right. Sounds good. We'll hit that next week then. <laughs> but we are going to come back in just a few minutes here. We are going to have the blitz segment where we go through what went wrong defensively and offensively for Penn State and what went right in a big way and what play call from Ricky Ronnie was a wrinkle on a wrinkle that came from Joe Moorhead. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Nittany Lions Sports Report, everybody. And it is time for the weekly blitz where we take a look at Something in the Penn State offensive or defensive scheme that worked or didn't work, and we explain why on our whiteboard here. We're going to start with what did not work defensively for Brent Pry. I mentioned in the earlier part of the show, I think he's a guy that's taken a lot of undue criticism at times, but today we're going to criticize him for what he did in terms of play call because I think it was his worst game as a defensive coordinator. Tyler mentioned very well that they really didn't take opportunities to blitz very often. But when they did, if I may add this, I thought they did it pretty horrendously. Let's start with a first quarter, third down and 10. And Ramsey and Co. are deep 
in their own territory. Let's just say they're at the 10-yard line, so they need to get to the 20. Penn State actually goes nickel in this situation. Nickel meaning that they have five defensive backs. So Reed and Oruwarie and Castro Fields out here. So they put the, the extra tight end, which, of course, Taylor in the secondary um, and, uh, and Nick Scott in the secondary. So then you have middle linebacker here and four guys on the D-line. And so you rush four, no problem there, but it's third and ten. And so they have receiver, 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 and another receiver here being picked up by, actually it would have been Taylor in this case, so another receiver picked up by Taylor, Scott being the free safety. And then they rush this linebacker. Now we have to understand that Ramsey is a very agile quarterback, and on a third and ten, what they're going to be doing is sending these receivers down the field. So this whole middle of the field will be open, and this linebacker comes at the quarterback. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say that as soon as that pocket begins to break down, Ramsey just takes off for a first down. It's a horrible, horrible play call on a third and ten where Penn State had an opportunity to get off the field and then get something going offensively. So then in the second quarter, right about here, Michael Penix is in the game, the the backup quarterback for Indiana. This was before he got hurt. Again, third and long. I believe it was even third and 12. Mid-second quarter, Penn State is actually now dime. So they have six defensive backs. D-back, 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 two safeties. So there's only one linebacker here at this point. Same thing. Four guys on the D-line, and they rush to the quarterback. No problem, right? But it's the same issue where these wide receivers are going to shoot straight down the field and then Penn State sends, and I believe it was Micah Parsons at this point, right through the B-gap on this side. Well, Penix, who is a left-handed thrower, now rolls to his strong side and has an opportunity to run right up the middle of the field. So if we're going to talk about the blitzing characteristics of this Penn State defense, and Tyler said he wanted to bring more pressure, my response to that would be not on third down, not in dime, and not without a QB spy. And that, at the end of the day, is the big thing that I saw way too many times from Brent Pry. And what I believe were situations where it was very, very reasonable to assume that they wouldn't make that call. And it really exposed the defense, in my mind, unnecessarily and led to a huge game from Indiana, in part, for a lot of different reasons. But big third-down conversions for Indiana – by two different quarterbacks, but that have the same common thread. That's their ability to escape the pocket, run the football, and achieve first downs with their athleticism. A simple spy on a third and long should not have taken Penn State out of their defense and would have prevented that. Now let's talk about Penn State offensively and one thing that they did really, really well. When they are, they were about at midfield, and they had Fryermuth here on the outside, Trace McSorley in the shotgun, as always, and Tommy Stevens, the lion, next to him here. And they had just tried a little screen pass. It hadn't really worked. I mentioned here Pat Fryermuth, and then they had a receiver on the outside. Now, where this gets really interesting is, do you remember the game against Michigan last year? And all week, Joe Moorhead was talking about a wrinkle that they were going to put into their offense. What's the wrinkle? What's the wrinkle? What's this going to be? Well, what it ended up being was, in this case, it was Trace McSorley in the shotgun and Saquon Barkley next to him. And then all they did was right before the snap, Barkley here, Trace McSorley here. So what it ends up looking like is Barkley is under center, McSorley is off center, and the ball goes to Saquon Barkley, McSorley comes across, Barkley fakes the handoff, and he ended up taking that first play all the way to the house against Michigan. So that wrinkle worked to perfection. This was actually a variation of that and a brilliant one from Ricky Ronnie because what happened was directly before the snap, Tommy Stevens, Trace McSorley, switch spots. So now Stevens takes the snap. McSorley is the guy where the ball is faked. Tommy Steven pulls it back. Instead of going up the middle, it's Pat Farmer sneaking out here as the receiver heads up the field, pulling a safety. And Tommy Stevens thinks about just the, just the ability for him to either give it off to Trace McSorley 
or for Tommy Stevens to take off. Draws the eye of this corner who's in zone. Fryermuth over the top. Stevens to him. Touchdown Penn State. A brilliant play and an additional wrinkle on a play that worked incredibly well in the first uh, play of the game against Michigan last year at Beaver Stadium. So I found that play particularly interesting because it worked so well, because it isolated this defender in space, and because it was based on the wrinkle that Joe Moore had put together last year against Michigan. So that is our blitz for the day. It's not all bad news for Penn State in a 33-28, way too close win against Indiana. But uh, had some issues that I saw defensively, had some brilliance that I saw offensively, and this segment isn't long enough to talk about the end-of-game clock management. Maybe, hopefully not, but maybe we'll have the opportunity to talk about that again before the end of the year. So we'll be right back on the other side. Thanks for watching. This is the Nittany Lions Sports Report. we got a lot more coming up before we close up shop. Talk to you soon. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Bob Long, Tyler Galhouse, so excited to be alongside with you. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Blitz here in the midst of our Nittany Lions Sports Report. And Tyler... I know we wanted to talk about one thing in particular at this Indiana game that we didn't get to talk about yet, and that is the targeting penalty on Garrett Taylor. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when I was watching the game, I actually thought that they were reviewing whether or not it was a fumble. Because if you recall, he, the uh, quarterback Penix, who tore his ACL in that play, which had no impact on the head hit, obviously, um, he did fumble the ball. He was down after replay, and I thought that's what they were reviewing at first. Because um, it didn't look like targeting to me in, in in full speed, and it certainly didn't in the um, in the replay either. And I right. say that because what w- yes, there was head to head contact. Um, Taylor actually turned his head um, and almost tried to avoid. It, but what? How can he avoid that tackle? And I mean, I think Franklin even discussed it a little bit today and saying, well, you know, he really didn't have a choice. He had to make the tackle, um, and. You know, he just has to suffer half a suspension against Iowa. And it's a shame because he's been one of Penn State's better defensive players this year. He's been a pleasant surprise. And he's been playing really, really good football. Um, I just, I don't, I don't agree with the call. Um, I think that needs to be, I think that needs to be changed. Um, Maybe not changed, but modified because I don't think it's fair to have such a um, questionable call cost a kid the rest of a game and then the first half of the next if it happens. So very interesting that you say this because down in Baton Rouge, the AD Joe Oliva at LSU is trying to overturn a suspension where Devin White had the exact same situation, a targeting call in the second half of the game against Mississippi State where he hit Nick Fitzgerald. And it's one of those things where if we're being very, very technical, the the helmet did make contact just under the bottom of the helmet of Nick Fitzgerald, which is technically targeting. However, it was one of those things where if I were to just come up to you and kind of nudge you, and they called it targeting, they upheld it, and they sent him off. Clearly, being in the second half, he'll sit out the next half of the game, and clearly with their opponent, which is Alabama, next time they step on the field, This is something that's huge for an LSU team that's been led by its defense in many ways this year. So this is the first time I've been aware of a formalized Mm -hmm. request from an AD to a conference Mm -hmm. office to have something like this overturned. You know, the Garrett Taylor thing, probably less implications, at least on a college football playoff And nothing against Garrett Taylor either, but Devin White is one of the best um, linebackers in the country. Absolutely. And they're getting ready for their biggest game of the year. And maybe um, the game of the year in college football. Not yeah, and not that that makes it okay or you know, but I get what you're putting down. But you just the situations are totally different. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the scenarios are very similar. Are exactly yes. the same. And so it's it's one of those things where a precedent could be set. I think the answer is going to be that the conference office can't do anything about this. However, the precedent could be sent set if they were to do something about this. You know, precedent one is uh, we can go back and overturn these calls, but only for special situations where it's an important player for your team. A priority. And who's to judge who an important player is? You know exactly. Um, well, I mean, and I, I'm 
ad no, libbing yeah, there a no, little I bit. Yeah. But critics will say, oh, mm-hmm. okay, great, your best but, player gets hurt. Now you're going to say it. And are they going to allow that precedent? If they do, total Pandora's box. The other thing is you have a Alabama football team that's dominated the conference for a very long time, and you have enough people nationally and in the SEC that believe that the SEC office, which is based in the state of Alabama, has in some ways been partial to the Crimson Tide. So a conspiracy, and I don't think there's anything to this, but the conspiracy theory about when and why Devin White was sent off the field. Yeah. I mean, I don't think so either, but don't tell the people in Louisiana because they are probably firm saying. believers. Some, no, I, I totally get it. The The problem I have with targeting is that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is the re- the official, the head ref is reviewing it on a screen. Right. I don't know if there's anybody talking to him or not. Um, for example, in NHL, all scoring plays can be reviewed in Toronto. Yes, the war room, yes. I think that there should be a, a similar thing for targeting because of the implication that it has not only on that game, not only, not only on that player, but also the next game. I think that there should be, um, you know, in the rules, I mean, it's again, it's still, it's still a very judgmental call whether yeah. or not something is targeting. I think there has to be a, you know, like a committee, like a room, like the war room in the NHL that they that is who they page and it's not on the ref to make that call. I think it should be on a select few, um, a committee that that and then the ref needs to be able to explain it from what he's talking to. But I just I hate to see obviously head injuries, but I also hate to see ticky tack targeting when players are only you know given twelve games. Um, they're not being compensated um, at least legally. Um, I'll leave it at that. And then. Um, Costing the team a first half of the next game. I mean, it's right. just tough. It is. Uh, it is very tough. And there's much larger discussions that can be had about whether some targeting penalties are drawn by the aggression of the defensive player versus an offensive player lowering his head instinctually into the pathway of a defensive player. Mm-hmm. And the defensive player is technically held responsible for that, and that's right. fine. But at the speed of the action that's occurring on the field, yeah. that's an impossible I, task. I just don't know what Garrett Taylor was supposed to do right there. Let him score, you know. Right. I mean, and then and then you, unfortunately for Penix, tears his ACL on that play, which had nothing to do with it. But I mean, you see it in the NFL. I mean, you can't even hit the quarterback low. You can't hit him high. So, and and that's that's a whole other subject, but. I just think that it needs to be refined. I think it, they have to have more discussion this offseason. I'm sure they will because it's just it's too inconsistent right now for me. And um, the the defensive players are going to have to take the brunt of it right now because and there's oftentimes nothing they can do yep. unless they want to let the other team score a touchdown or get a big gain. Um, but in the meantime, you have one more thought on no, that? No, I, I was, was going to say, say let's get a couple. Let's picks uh, in we're here. running out of time here. Um, so let's get to our our weekly picks. It's a little bit of a yeah. The a show weaker, a the week- show behind us is is waiting to come in. The studio, I know, yeah. So. so our time's running out, but um, it's a weaker week this year. Week uh, we are in week nine of the college football season. Uh, we have a couple of ranked matchups, starting with um, world's largest out the outdoor cocktail party, Florida Georgia, number nine versus number seven, respectively. A lot at stake including possibly a trip to the SEC championship. Big ups to my boy Fred, who uh, I met and hosted us at his tailgate last year when we went down for Florida LSU. Why? Just for the heck of it. We went down for an SEC football game. Fred was a great guy. That said, Fred, I am sorry. I don't believe in your Florida Gators quite yet. Dan Mullen's done a nice job. It really is amazing in many ways that you break down the season of LSU. They're a win from against Florida away from being undefeated going into the game against Alabama. Florida's a win against Kentucky away from being right in the mix for the college football playoff. They can hoist themselves right back into it this week. I think Georgia gets right, gets right in a big way and wins this one by double digits. Uh, Georgia is six-and-a-half-point favorites, and I think that they, uh, they will win, and I think they'll win um... – They'll cover as well. I think that uh, they're just a better football team than Florida. Um, Florida very much improved under Dan Mullen, uh, but I think that um, I think Georgia's got too much firepower. I mean, don't forget this is a team that lost a lot, but also has a lot returning from last year's oh so close national championship mm-hmm. team. 
Um, I'm going down in order here, and it looks like next we have we're gonna we're gonna we'll do Penn State. Um, 18 Iowa uh, heads to Happy Valley. Number 17 Penn State. 3:30 ESPN. Um, weather seems to be a little bit iffy up there in State College, and uh, Penn State also six and a half point favorites. Yeah, I think this will be the offensive line against Penn State against the defensive line of Iowa, which would make you think that this is a matchup for Iowa, and it certainly might be. But I think that Miles Sanders comes out and has an enormous day against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Maybe not to the level of Saquon Barkley last year, but I think they're going to need to count on him, especially if Jawan Johnson is limited in any way, shape, or form, especially if they decide to go with additional bodies in terms of freshman wide receivers. I think you're going to count on your veterans more at that time. I think Sanders has a great game. Interested to see if Ricky Slade gets any more time. Apparently he was a little bit banged up, and that's Mm -hmm. why we saw Journey Brown in backup spots. But so I think Miles takes a huge load and wins the game for Penn State in many ways. Uh, He and Trace McSorley have great performances, and I think they win by seven. I just don't see – right on the uh, Vegas line there, Bob. I just don't see how Penn State can lose three home games in a row um, after not losing a home game under uh, Trace McSorley. So they haven't lost a home game before the season since late 2015 against Michigan at home. I don't see how they can lose three home games in a row, and I also can see the Penn State team that we haven't seen show up to their best this year. I believe the best is still yet to come. It's getting late in the season, though. I don't know if it's going to be this week or not. I hope it is because this is a big three-game stretch coming up. I think Penn State wins. I think it's very close. I think it comes down to about a field goal, 24-21 type of game. Um, I just I don't have the confidence that I, I wish I had in the team right now. And yeah. I was playing well. Um, their schedule is not as tough as Penn State's, but um, they're a good football team, always well coached. Um, they're always ready to play. So um, we'll see. I hope I hope that it's uh, a win is a win, but I hope that I get a little more confidence from Penn State beating Iowa and then heading into uh, Michigan next week in Ann Arbor. Um, let's go to uh, Washington State. Big win over Oregon last week. You called it. Yeah, and now they go to Stanford, number 24, Stanford, 14, Washington State. Uh, bandwagon's a little bit too late for Bobo, but I think I got Washington State winning this one on the road at Stanford. Stanford, I still doesn't think know who it is at this point, and I think that Washington State is going to ride some momentum and win that one by double digits. Washington State's actually three point underdogs. Yeah, in I'm Palo interested Alto. to see that. Um, you know what? The Pac-12 has been so wacky <laughs> this year. <laughs> I mean, one team beats the one team, and then they get knocked off. I mean, nobody nobody wants to take that 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 um, division of the North, let alone the whole conference. And, right. and they're pretty much out of the college football playoff picture. The Pac-12 as a whole. I'm going Stanford. I think Stanford's going to win. I think. Washington State is on a high highest of highs right now, and with the pure emotion that we see in college football, and I, I just don't see them uh, going back to back ranked wins. Okay, and um, there's one more that we'll end with. It is the primetime game this week: Longhorns of Texas, number mm. six, travel to Stillwater, take on Oklahoma State, and. Texas is three-and-a-half-point favorites. Man, I don't know enough about this Oklahoma State team. I don't know enough about either team. It's true. It's true. I'm still trying to determine if I'm all in on Texas. And I think that the answer is no. It would be interesting if they won out, though, and won the conference. It would be very interesting. Including the conference championship. Including the conference championship. I think they would be in. You think they'd be in. Assuming what? Let's just say Alabama they, wins uh, out. Assuming that they win out and that they are so 12 Alabama and 1. wins out. So does Notre Dame. So does Clemson. And they're the fourth team? Depends what happens in the Big Ten. So Michigan wins out and wins the conference championship with the lone loss to the I mean, three Notre I, Dame they, fighting They out. would have a better resume than Texas, yes. Including, well, I because don't, know if, if I don't you, know if they play Maryland or not, but at least but the they loss. Did. They did. They already beat them. Um, so but, there you go. I mean, that is the comment. But Michigan's only loss, hypothetically, would have been to 
Notre, Notre Dame, Dame, who's also. I mean, I, I just think that also the first week, just like Texas. Yes. Yep. But. They'd be in a very good spot. I mean, it, a lot would have to go wrong for them to win out. And I don't think Texas is going to win out anyway, though. I think they win this one. I don't think they win out. I'll I, say that. I agree. I think Texas wins close one. I'll go probably four points. Though. Oh man, right on the Vegas yeah. line. Yeah, right on the. Yeah, how about that? Dancing <laughs> around the line there. Uh, I, I think it'll be about a high scoring, probably like thirty-eight, thirty-four type of game out there in Stillwater. Um, but I don't think I agree with you on that. That uh, Texas wins this does not win out though yeah all right that's what you got huh that's, that's all the big games this week it's rather a seldom week uh in college football so yes well enjoy the penn state game at 3 30 if you're going up to state college certainly get there early 3 30 is a great time to kick off but uh those parking lots open early so go enjoy responsibly and enjoy the nittany Lions trying to get back on the winning track at beaver stadium for Tyler Gelhouse, I'm Bob Long saying so long and saying thank you to the viewers and listeners, saying thank you to Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times, and, uh, and asking you to continue following along on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It's every single week here on BLS. We'll be back next Tuesday, the 30th of October at 8 o'clock p.m., live streaming on Twitter, at Bob Long Sports, live streaming on Facebook, that's Bob Long, and then up on YouTube and iTunes after the fact. So search us on YouTube through our Nittany Lions Sports Report page and on SoundCloud and iTunes through the BLS podcast. Talk to everybody soon. See you next week.